Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Hello and welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. My name is Michelle Beck. I'm a two-time, almost 10-year survivor of breast cancer. I am the patient programs assistant at Breast Friends of Oregon. And when I have time, I write at my blog and on social media. You can find me at I Never Liked Pink. So today I'm super excited for this fabulous guest that I have. Her book that I just finished reading is, the short title is You Are Enough. And in it, she talks about her career because she is a strong black badass boss bitch (laughs) and her name is Charlene Wheelis and the book literally has so many life lessons in it from cancer but also career as a woman and just really ways to empower yourself and move forward because there are challenges in life aside from cancer that are just not easy. And she talks about so many of them in her book, and I'm so thrilled to have her here today. So let's kind of get into a little bit better bio. So Charlene is a business business executive who has broken so many glass ceilings. She's a leadership coach, a speaker, author, cancer survivor, mom of two adult daughters, and I just love her. But we're going to talk about all of this today and her book, You Are Enough, which is reclaiming your career and your life with purpose, passion, and unapologetic authenticity is the full title. So Charlene, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. I'm delighted to be here with you. Well, I appreciate that. So tell us a little bit about yourself, the the non-cancer stuff, because we'll get there. Oh, gosh. Where do I start? Well, I'm a recovering C-suite executive, as I like to say, <laughs> <laughs> since, since after my, uh, my cancer journey, as we call them, I guess, uh, I did leave uh, corporate America and I, of course, wrote the book and then I found myself doing a lot of public speaking and also um, uh, decided to become a leadership coach. Uh, which has been uh, really gratifying, you know, in my free time, I, um, I like to reach out to other cancer survivors, I really call us all cancer warriors, because I know it's a lot of survivors who are no longer here. (laughs) And, um, and, you know, I hang out with my kids when they let me, Uh, they're 26 and 28. And, uh, and my dogs as as well, I have two dogs are 15 and 16, everybody's old in my life, I guess. And not um, you, you're like 20. So (laughs) I I stopped aging. I sleep in a bariatric chamber, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the whole thing. But, you know, I spend my time trying to make my life and others the best it can be. Well, I love that. And definitely I, I learned so much from your book and just about real simple lessons and about being your, your own advocate and standing up for yourself. Because if you don't, there's a lot of people who will not help you. And, you know, not everyone has champions because if they're not champions, they might be squashing you down. And that's one of the things you talk about in your book. So, Mm -hmm. so now let's, let's briefly get to our cancer, cancer diagnosis and trek. What, cause you had quite the journey. If you could tell us about that. (laughs) Yeah. So I was um, in 2017, I was at the height of my career. I, um, I was the chief communications officer for a $40 billion multinational company, flying all over the place, having a great time. I'd reached the proverbial top, as they say. And um, a couple of months later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. 
And I thought, well, okay, I guess whatever this means. And I treated it like a project, right? I said to my doctor, okay, what's the process? How long? How can I plan? And, you know, and, and I should have known it was a little bit more serious than I was taking it initially because she said to me, um, Charlene, I know your lifestyle and your work and your treatment, your active treatment will be seven months and you need to not work during that time because I don't think you'll make it if you do. You know, and I thought, okay, well, you're using a lot of hyperbole here. And yeah, you're you're just me, trying to, you know, make right, me, you right. know, make me pay attention here, but I'll be fine. It's all good. Exactly. Exactly. And she said, I'm giving it to you straight because that's how you understand it. And, uh, you know, I did go through seven months of my active treatment and um, it was much tougher than I thought it was going to be. And, you know, I, I often say, you know, Michelle, the, the first worst day I ever had was when I was told I had breast cancer. And the second worst day is when I was told I no longer had cancer, because all of a sudden I had to look up and try to walk back into my life as I thought I could, you know, oh, got this out of the way, let me just go back to work. And then the complication started. And before I knew it, my seven month cancer journey turned into a near four and a half year battle for my health and my life. And um, I had nine surgeries in three years. And I'm proud to say that last year, 2021 was the first year I had not been operated on since 2017. And amen uh, to that. Yes. Hallelujah. And as you know, from reading the book, you know, if anybody can have bizarre um, side effects, um, then it's me. Right. 100%. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you to tell the story because um, Charlene, as she mentioned, she, you know, C-class executive traveling height of her career, and she definitely wanted to go back to it afterwards. So post reconstruction, you're on the road and I will let you take it yes. from here because you know oh what I want gosh. you to talk about. Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> I do. So the first thing I have to say in starting to tell your tell the story is I want your readers and, and your viewers to think about the dress. Okay. Because I'd gone shopping before I went, um, went on this business trip and I was talked into by the salesperson to buy this dress that was more expensive than I wanted to pay. I didn't even want to try it on. And I tried it on and I was like, okay, it's a lot of money, but it's really cute. So let me just take this dress. Fast forward, I go on my business trip. I'm wearing this dress. And what's important about this dress is that it zips up in the front. I have breakfast, a business breakfast, and I noticed that my left breast is starting to swell. And that's the one that had cancer, even though I'd had a double mastectomy. And uh, I call my doctor and I explain what's happening. And I'm in another state, of course. And he says, call the emergency room. So um, I said, okay. And then he says, call an ambulance. You need to go. So I'm at like, the hotel. Um, okay, what? Like, what the heck is happening? call my husband from the ambulance. And I said, I'm in an ambulance. The doctor said I need to go to the emergency room. I don't know what's going on. I'll call you later. Right. <laughs> so, like I'm going to go back to taking care of business while I'm in the ambulance, like check right. you later. Yeah, exactly. And so the, um, so I get to the hospital and uh, some things just happen and I crashed actually. And the, it took the doctors a couple of hours to stabilize me. And uh, I'd crashed so quickly that they didn't even have, have a chance to take off my dress. And all I remember in that time is in my delirium, I just kept saying, don't cut off my dress, don't <laughs> cut off my dress. 
And so they stabilized me and they said, okay, now let's attend to your breast because it continued to swell. And the nurse says, um, I need you to sit up and unzip your dress. And I said, I know this sounds a little crazy, but I feel like if I unzip my dress, my breast is going to explode. And they all look at me and that, that's in the emergency room. And they say, that never happens. Like you idiot, that never happens. I said, okay. So I sat up, unzipped my dress, my breast burst open. I have never seen so much blood in my entire life. It was down the front of my dress. It was down the back of my dress. And we all stopped for a nanosecond and I coughed and the implant then fell out because it wasn't the implant that exploded, but the implant fell out. I'm looking at all this blood and I said, shouldn't we do something? (laughs) And I passed out right as the doctor says, get her ready for a blood transfusion. And so I ended up having a blood transfusion by the time I woke up that, you know, they transferred me to another hospital to, uh, because there wasn't a plastic surgeon at that one. And so um, I got a um, temporary surgery that uh, the way I describe it is that when I had my dog spayed, she was sewn together better than I was after this. I mean, it was really just horrendous and the mental trauma on top of it. Uh, very long story shorter, uh, I end up um, at, uh, with a specialist at MD Anderson Cancer Center, and he tells me, he says, Charlene, whatever dress you had on saved your life. He says, because it served as a, it, the thickness of it served as a compression garment. And if you had had anything else on, you would have bled to death before you ever got to the emergency room. And it, it's just a, a, such a remarkable story. And my, my husband obviously had flown in and, um, and I kept saying to him, I said two things. I said, make sure you get the breast implant. Whoops, my light just went out. <laughs> I said, make sure you get the breast implant because I think I'm going to need this for some reason. I said, and can you please get my dress cleaned? And <laughs> no, <laughs> I know, I know. I know how crazy this sounds, trust me, I know. <laughs> And the um, and nobody would clean the dress. They said this is a biohazard. There's yeah, no way. Did, did, did someone get murdered in the dress? Right, right. They're giving him a little bit of a funny look. And my my lovely husband um, put the dress in water in the bathtub in the hotel um, while I was in the hospital, and painstakingly pulled out the blood clots of this dress. And there were a lot of them. It took him a good three hours. And when all was said and done with that dress, the only reminder of what happened is the tag is stained, you know? And so that tag has become just my badge whenever I put that dress on. And it was just amazing. And, I, and I'd love to say, you know, that's the only time I almost died during my journey, but that was just the first of several. Well, obviously glad that didn't happen. And <laughs> because you have, <laughs> and listeners, this, this isn't normal. Like this is, this is a really, really bonkers experience. So if you're, you know, starting in your journey, this really isn't something that typically happens, but I really wanted to emphasize what you went through and how you've literally used it to strengthen yourself. Because like you say, you look at that tag and it's a badge of honor, what you went through. Oh, it, it so is. And it's, you know, I, um, I am a, a woman of faith. And so for me, I never ask myself the questions of why me? Um, I, but I ask, what am I supposed to do with this? 
And so I almost immediately had to just change my mind, shift my mindset to say, the lesson is coming, the lesson, you know, is coming. And, uh, and I think ultimately, that's what led me to leave a life that I had been, I had spent 33 years building and in my corporate world, and my, uh, my, you know, my corporate self, which I call the perfect black female executive, right? You know, you don't talk too loud, you don't talk too much, you don't get angry, you know, all of those things. It really is, unfortunately, a very mm -hmm. small bucket that you're supposed to be in. And, but you obviously had to jump out of that quite a few times to make it as far as you did. Well, you know, I did, I did. And I, you know, the, the one thing after my cancer journey is that I deliberately, you know, said, I need to do something different. And it was, it was a lot of it was certainly was driven by my health. um, But it was also driven by my mental state uh, after coming out of all of this or beginning to emerge from all of the complications and everything I had. And you know, people don't tell you that when you recover from breast cancer, or you're in remission, that you might just be depressed. And I was might? very just, I know. <laughs> I, know, you know. Uh, the, the, I think the depression and anxiety literally is just goes hand in hand. Like the moment you get that diagnosis, your brain right. just shuts down. Yeah. And it was for me, it was crazy because no one gives you room to be depressed, right? You tell somebody you're depressed. They're like, what are you talking about? You just beat cancer. What do you have to be depressed about? And for me, it was, I had this identity for 33 years. I'm not her anymore. And I don't know who I am, right? Because I'm this type A achieving, breaking down barriers, trailblazer. And suddenly I'm not her anymore. And I don't even want to be her. So how do I find a new way to impact, to make a difference and to make a living, right? And so it was a really, um, right now I call it a crazy time, but it was a depressing time for me. And it was very challenging, but what, is, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, correct? Yes. And when you're talking about this, there's a couple um, quotes that I wanted to read from your mm-hmm. book where you're talking about, you know, the moving forward and knowing that you had to do something else and you kind of have it in the, in the career aspect you're writing Mm -hmm. says, when you reach the top rung of the ladder, we have a responsibility to reach back and pull up others that, Mm -hmm. that, dot. be the woman who makes change happen. And you did that in your career, but then you've also taken your cancer trek Mm -hmm. and done that as well. Um, by merging those two things into your book, which we're going to get into here. And I want to give the full title again. So you are enough reclaiming your career with life and and life with purpose, passion, and unapologetic authenticity. So in this, you, you really incorporate your career and your diagnosis, Mm -hmm. but you, you also, you pull in some of your blog posts, which you wrote during, um, How, what made you want to go ahead and be like, you know, I'm going to become an author now and I'm going to write down all of my helpful lessons. What brought that about? Well, you know, I didn't know that I was going to write a book. And when I um, made the decision, the very difficult decision to leave my job and my career, I thought, what am I supposed to do? And um, I literally woke up one day and said, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to write a book. And so I thought I was supposed to write a cancer book. And then I thought, wait a minute, 
I have so much more to say and there's so much more that needs to be said and I've got the courage to say it because there's so much that goes on whether you're a black woman or just a woman or someone of difference climbing the ladder you know in your personal life and then also um, with cancer that people just don't talk about and I had the courage to talk about it and so I decided to put it all in a book you know and initially my um, my publisher said well, let's just write about being a black woman, you know, in corporate. And I said, no, I can't just talk about that because if this is a memoir, I need to tell the whole picture. And, uh, and he said, well, I don't know if you need to keep the cancer piece in there. You know, nobody's really that interested. And I said, you know, let me figure out how to put my cancer piece in there and the blogs in there, because all of this is a mosaic that comes together to create an individual. And so, and, and I felt that people who are going through cancer or touched by it in some way needed to know some of these things because people don't talk about them. Right? It really they, is because we go in and we meet our oncology team and their concern is getting the cancer out of our bodies. Right. That's what they want right. to do. They don't talk about the different things that are going to come down the road or the, the random things that, that may happen to you during treatment and the depression right. and the anxiety. And I love the fact that in your book, you call yourself an oversharer because <laughs> right. that's what I call myself too, oh, because good. nothing for me, like if anyone has questions in my support groups that I do and various things that work, I, I'm open to anything you want to, right. you want to talk about intimacy. You want to talk about mm -hmm. depression. You want to talk about all of the things that come together with this. I'm here for it because if it helps right. one person, then exactly. I feel like it's a success. And exactly. you have obviously done the same thing with your book. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk a lot more about that after we get back from a short break. So okay. listeners, please stay with us. If you need our help, please go to breastfriends.org and check out patient programs to see what we can do for you. If you'd like to make a donation to breast mm -hmm. friends to ensure that no woman goes through cancer alone, you can do that on our website or by texting BF radio to 41444. So stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. My Care Crew's mission is to make the cancer journey a little more bearable. They offer products and services that have been specially designed and curated to meet the needs of cancer patients, caregivers, and their loved ones. The mobile app connects patients and caregivers with their care crew to streamline day-to-day -day challenges experienced in the cancer journey. The app makes it easy for patients and caregivers to ask for help, manage the inflow of help from loved ones, share updates, create wish lists, and more. You can download the free app in the Apple and Android stores today. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck. My guest is Charlene Wheelis, speaker, coach, author of You Are Enough. And Charlene, before break, you had mentioned that in your career, you were striving to be the perfect black female executive and you, you got there. But do you feel like some of that stress, because obviously that is a high stress lifetime for 33 Mm -hmm. years, that some of that stress may have compromised your immune system and contributed Mm -hmm. to your cancer? Um, No, I feel like all of that stress (laughs) (laughs) compromised (laughs) my immune system and led to my breast cancer diagnosis. And, you know, even though I decided to go down a different path and not become a corporate executive, not be a corporate executive any longer after cancer, you know, there are times because that had been my identity for so long. Uh, and I did mourn the death of that life. And so there have been times that I've thought about going back into the corporate realm. And for me, Michelle, that it is so linked to cancer for me that it just mentally, it feels like a death sentence. And mm-hmm. so I just can't get there. Unfortunately, I don't have the desire. I, I want to give back an impact in a different way. But you know, I, it, something I don't talk about frequently is six months before I had breast cancer, I had uterine cancer. And I pretty much ignored it. Uh, for the most part, I mean, you can't completely ignore it. I had surgery, I bet, went back to work a week later, I didn't tell anybody I had cancer, I, I just ignored it. And um, I guess God said, well, we're going to show you, right? Yeah. Then, uh, let's really give you, let's give you a different head. wake up call. Cause <laughs> yeah. the first one did not work. Right. Totally. You're not listening. And um, you know, and so now I am such a zealot for telling people to take care of yourself. Your the connection between your mind and your body is direct. Right. And if you, and, and I know, especially for women and we're mothers and we tend to put everybody, you know, ahead of ourselves And I just like to remind people, you know, that self-care is not the same thing as being selfish, right? You know, they're just, they're not the same thing. So anyway, that was a very long answer to your question. No, well, I was actually going to ask you about that because you talk about it in the book, how you Mm -hmm. went through the uterine cancer and it was a non-event basically, and you moved Mm -hmm. on. And then the breast cancer was such a a long haul and a really hard trek for you. But then you decided like, I'm going to tell all because- it's, it's cathartic to write mm-hmm. about it and to share, but you really had so many lessons to learn. And, um, you, you say in there that you, you share, you want to be open and honest, even all the mm-hmm. gritty parts. 
and you right. do because, <laughs> yes. but it's just, it's so important for, for those of us who come or for those who come after to know, like, mm-hmm. these are the things that you are not told by your oncology team. Right. And if anything that you went through can help others, I, I think that's so important. So thank I you. thank you. Yeah, um, and one thing you, you talk about in the book, which is um, trying to get back to our normal lives, oh. which is, which is hilarious. <laughs> and then, and then people say, oh, well, you have a new normal. And um, I love, I love your quote about, this is from one of your blog posts. <laughs> so people would tell me that I just had to get used to the new normal. Fuck that. I wanted my old normal back. And by the way, I still wanted symmetrical boobs, <laughs> but that's so true. Yeah. Well, because- yeah, it re- yeah. I mean, and I still feel that way. Fuck normal, right? But fuck the new normal, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted my old life back. I wanted to walk back into the life. I had put my blood, sweat and tears in and I had great boobs before I had cancer. <laughs> You know, and, and I don't think that people really understand, you know, like I, like I had a double mastectomy and I've had reconstruction and all that's in the book, but, you know, I feel like this is, these are somebody else's parts now, you know, they're not really mine. And I tell people sometimes it's like, just imagine, you know, you wake up and you're, you don't have your, you know, your original equipment anymore. You know, and that is, you know, so you just so desperately want to get back to who you're going to be. And I don't think that you can move forward until you realize you're not going to be that person again. Um, and you have a choice. You can be a better version of that or not. But you yeah. have a you have a choice. Okay, um, this is this is making me go back to another one of your quotes. Oh, I love that you, I love that you're flipping through my book. I have to tell you, I love that. Yeah, well, it's this is my favorite part of what I do because mm-hmm. I, it's just, you know, even though everyone should be reading the book, not everyone will, but right. you get amazing things like this. So, when you're talking about when someone asks like, you know, what's what's wrong with you? You're like, what is wrong with me is that I had cancer. What is wrong is that cancer has taken more for me than it's given. What is wrong is that I wonder every day if one day I will be a partner in the partner and ban- abandonment club. Side note, uh-huh. way too many men leave their wives after breast cancer surgery. So yes. screw them. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, they don't deserve the fabulous women that they were with. Okay. But what is wrong is that I spend all time, any edit, that I spend any time having these thoughts at all. It's not rational, but neither is the disease that you never can quite get away from. Yes. Oh, I just got to take a breath after that one. I remember writing that and I remember how I felt when I wrote that and, you know, people, and I guess unless you've gone through something, you, you can have compassion, but you can't really empathize, you know, and so often people are like, when are you going to be you again? I miss the you that you used to be. I wanted to say, well, damn it. Don't you think I miss her too? Don't you think I'm trying to get to be her too? And, um, oh my gosh. And I I remember, and I I believe I say this in the book that at one point, you know, I just wanted to die. I just didn't want to die from cancer because I just didn't see a way out. And I, I couldn't see that new life ahead of me. And now I just want people to know that new life can be so amazing and so much more than you ever imagined. 
And, you know, that's not to say that I don't miss parts of my old life because I do. I loved being a badass, right? <laughs> you know, you're still a badass. badass. You yeah, just do it just differently now in a different way. But, you know, but what I do now fills my heart every day. What I used to do filled me with dread. Yep. And so that, that's, that's the, the great part. If you're going to have a great part on the other side. It really is. My guest last week, um, his name is Savio Clemente and he has a, um, he, uh, his website is the human resolve, but he talks about finding your why, mm -hmm. how do we find our, why, what makes us move yeah. forward after a cancer diagnosis? And for you, obviously it is, you became the, the coach and the leadership coach and mm -hmm. to, to remind w women, especially I'm sure you are enough. And, yes. you know, obviously the, the title of your book, uh, you know, somewhat wrote itself, I imagine, <laughs> right. but I kind of want to dig into something that is, um, as a, a middle-class white woman, who's very fortunate, mm -hmm. who went through a cancer diagnosis, my journey was fairly easy, but mm -hmm. hopefully people do know because it needs more awareness that the black and color community is incredibly underserved in dealing with healthcare in general, but especially mm -hmm. through a cancer diagnosis, what was your, did you have experience like that? You know, I, um, I'm fortunate having been, you know, an executive, I had access to great healthcare. Um, I, you know, I'm a, a geek researcher, so I always looked to see everything that was out there, but there were times where I was hesitant to advocate for myself. And I realized if I didn't advocate for myself, that I may not get the care that I needed. You know, one of the statistics that people may not know about black women in, in breast cancer, other than the fact that we die at, I think a 41% uh, mm -hmm. rate, which is much higher than, um, than white women, is that we're often um, slow or we may not get the option of surgery or chemotherapy. I read this um, after I'd gone through surgery and chemotherapy and I recall that initially, because I had, because of my complications, I had to change my care team. My, I remember my original care team, when it came to chemotherapy, they gave me the option. They said, you know, you can have chemotherapy or really, you know, it's probably not going to make that much difference, right? What the and, hell? Right. And I thought, oh, you know, I was vain enough to think, oh, well, I won't lose my hair. I will, you know, I went to right. all the, the, the vanity things. Right. And then I thought, wait a minute. It was bad enough that you cut off both my breasts, but chemotherapy is an option. And, you know, it's not required. So I called again my new care team because um, I was in the process of switching a bit there. I'm at MD Anderson and uh, there the specialist, the breast care specialist said, mm -hmm. this is the standard of care. This is what we recommend. So I don't know why anyone is telling you that um, you have the option, you know, and I, and I really thought about that for a while, not about whether or not to have chemotherapy. That was a resounding yes, mm -hmm. but no one else that I've known who've had breast cancer um, who's white has ever been told that they didn't, that chemotherapy was optional. And that really struck me. And I, I would say the other place where it's a, a bit more subtle, but the, um, you know, there's this trope or this belief out there that black women 
we are strong, we can withstand more pain and we can withstand more suffering. And um, it's a trope that's been around for a very long time, but it does play out in the medical field regarding what kinds of drugs you get to take care of your pain, right? And it's, I, I know that we have- Because if you're that strong, you don't need as many drugs. Know, and and that, that's the belief, or you tell the doctor that you, know, you are in excruciating pain and, um, and they don't necessarily believe you. And I remember distinctly at one point um, getting, like being told to take Tylenol when I really needed hydrocodone. And I was in excruciating pain. And my husband, my husband happens to be white. And, um, and he called the doctor and just made some demands. And next thing I know, I have all the drugs that I need. So I'm not so naive to think that just because I'm a black woman who was successful, you know, and had means that I was able to escape, um, you know, some of the tropes and some of the biases that are there, but I was still lucky. You know, there are yeah. women who don't have access to care. And if there isn't someone who advocates or champions for them, you know, their road is the path to death. Well, it is. And because unfortunately, as you mentioned earlier, they're based on too many awful things in our country, the systemic racism that people of color do not have the same basic access to healthcare that the rest of us do. And quite often, if something is going on, they're ignoring it because they're working two jobs, taking care of their single family households. And unfortunately, because of that, they're diagnosed at later stages mm-hmm. and it is, is more aggressive because it's not being taken care of. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and also I think, you know, it's, we, we are all nervous when we go to the doctor and we're all a little bit intimidated, you know, when we go, to, when we go to the doctor and, you know, if you feel like you aren't going to be treated well anyway, then it's easier to just not go. Right. And then you end up realizing that you've got something really serious wrong wrong with you and it's now too late. And I, that is just such a tragedy. I'm thankful that there are, you know, studies out uh, now more and more that are looking at the subgroups within breast cancer. You know, are you, um, you know, are you um, Latina? Are you black? Are you, you know, the different um, subgroups, which I think is really important. but health equity is, is, it's a problem that we're going to be trying to solve for a very long time. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I, uh, kind of throwing this out there, different studies, Mm -hmm. there is, um, something called the wisdom study, which is going on right now. It's based out in San Francisco with Dr. Laura Esserman, and they're literally doing swab tests on people, women who have not been diagnosed to check out their genetic risk. And they're really looking to get more women of color in this study mm-hmm. so they can have better recommendations. So any of you out there who have not been diagnosed, please go to the wisdom study. I believe it's org, and check it out because, um, it will help everyone overall. But, um, I, for me trying to get more, Monica? more research, more, more things out there, um, for anyone, um, who is, less 
has less healthcare available, please mm-hmm. do that because it will help. So that's okay. Hey. We, you know, things happen on live podcasts. It's okay. <laughs> they do. They do. Thank you. One day, I'm Thank sure you. my dogs are going to bust in here. The day hasn't happened yet, but I think it will. <laughs> oh, mine, mine do all the time. You know, if we were home in my regular studio, you would, you would see them because they always want to make a cameo. Yeah. Yeah. Usually it's my son and I put like a red light on the door, like stay out, stay out. <laughs> so we're in a couple minutes. We want to take a break, but really quickly, mm-hmm. I want to kind of hit on something that we talked about earlier about the word survivor, because yeah. I know that is a sensitive word for a lot of people. And you had mentioned use the word warrior. And that's actually mm-hmm. what we use at breast friends. We oh. call our ladies warrior women. How mm-hmm. do you feel about the term survivor? Yeah, I, I, quite frankly, Michelle, I just don't get it because I know a lot of survivors who are dead and it's really as simple as that. And so for me, you're a cancer warrior, you fought the good fight, but I just don't feel that I can call myself a survivor because next year I might not be. Sure. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) You know, just, just a couple of days ago, I scheduled my six month checkup with my Mm -hmm. oncologist and that sits with you, right? Until that, you know, until that appointment happens. And it's like, a survivor just doesn't feel authentic to me. I, I can definitely relate to that. I'm at my five-year mark and my doctor's like, I'll see you in a year. I'm like, no, you'll see me in six months because right. I'm, I'm just not ready to, to do that mm-hmm. break. Like I need someone who's right. going to keep checking on me and listening to the various aches and pains that I have and telling me like, Oh, well that might be this, or that might be that. And, (laughs) you know, so really you can say it like, I'm no evidence of disease, you know, (laughs) that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. So, Mm um, yeah, I, I do, I can definitely appreciate that. So, um, plus I don't like pink either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny if you saw my desk Mm -hmm. after my second time around, I did kind of embrace the pink and Mm -hmm. not because like I'm into the hoopla, but for Mm -hmm. me, it it kind of connects me to my grandmother who passed. And Mm -hmm. I I do, I'm not going to lie. I have a pink ribbon tattoo with boxing Mm -hmm. gloves on it and the word strong because for me, especially doing what I do now, Mm -hmm. I feel like it, it kind of bolsters me up to connect Mm -hmm. me to this amazing club that I never wanted to be a member of, but it really has the best members. Mm-hmm. I would agree so, with you on that yeah. one. So uh, that that's going to be the title of my own book because I am working mm-hmm. on it. But you know how hard it is to get it out there when you have a busy life. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so we are going to take uh-huh. another quick break, listeners. Please stay with us. When we come back, we will dig into more with Charlene. But if you would like to be my guest or submit your warrior story to me, please email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. We'll be back in a minute. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. My Care Crew's mission is to make the cancer journey a little more bearable. They offer products and services that have been specially designed and curated to meet the needs of cancer patients, caregivers, and their loved ones. The mobile app connects patients and caregivers with their care crew to streamline day-to-day challenges experienced in the cancer journey. The app makes it easy for patients and caregivers to ask for help, manage the inflow of help from loved ones, share updates, create wish lists, and more. You can download the free app in the Apple and Android stores today. Thank you for listening today. 
Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck and my guest is Charlene Wheelis, uh, breast cancer warrior and woman of many talents. So Charlene, we've been talking about the, the changes in your life and, mm-hmm. and different things, but you know, you wanted your old normal back and to, and to, mm-hmm. you know, you miss that girl, but you've obviously reclaimed your life and turned it into something different. And how did you do that? And do you feel like cancer taught you anything in this process? Mm-hmm. I, um, yes and no. I mean, I, I reclaimed my life, um, one, because I had to, and the other, because I really needed to, to, um, in order to, to move forward. You know, one of the things I say in my book is that, you know, in order to move forward, I had to forgive myself for getting cancer, Mm -hmm. you know, and people often ask me, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, I chose to lead that hard charging life. And, you know, and I do believe it contributed to my cancer. And there was a part of me that was still holding on to the fact that I, I felt that I contributed to it. So I had to let go of that um, in order to be able to move forward. And I think uh, one of the things that have come out of this, uh, come out of the cancer journey and even where I am now is I'm very focused on impact. Uh, I am very focused on intentionality, where and how I spend my time. And I'm, you know, I have three mantras in life now that I use all the time, or maybe four, but you know, the first one, and you talked about it earlier, and it's the title of my book is you are enough, you know, and going through the cancer battle and coming out the other end, I realized in my career, I had been, and in my life as a little black girl growing up, I'd always been told or made to feel like I wasn't enough. And what I discovered at the end of my cancer battle and go, or my journey and coming out the other side is that I was always enough. We're all enough. We have everything we need. We are every, 
we are exactly who we need to be. And um, uh, so that's one that's really important to me. The other is it's choice, not chance that changes your life. And often we just feel stuck, you know, and one of the greatest gifts we have is choice. And I learned that um, through cancer. And the other piece, which gets uh, a little bit more to your question is I have the saying um, that I actually put to, put to use, and that is seven seconds of courage. And I think that with seven seconds of courage, you can do anything because it's enough time to think about it, but not enough time to talk yourself out of it. (laughs) And did you come up with that one or did you get that from someone else? I came up with it actually. So I remember seeing a movie a long time ago of, um, we bought a zoo oh, with Matt Damon. Uh-huh. Yes, I know. And he talks about something like a certain amount of time of insane courage. And so that led me to think, I didn't even think about it again until after my cancer journey. And I thought, you know, when it's come, when I've come down to really big decisions in my life, like leaving my high paying job <laughs> and other things, how long did it really take me to make the decision? Right. And I pretty much narrowed it down to seven seconds. And then I started uh, doing some research on it. And I found a, a, some neuroscientists who actually said, your six seconds, the first six seconds are emotion. But that second second, that seventh second, excuse me, is where the magic happens. And so for me, with seven seconds of courage, you can transform your life. And I know that it's true because I did it. I love that. That's really, mm-hmm. uh, is incredibly impactful. I do want to jump back to mm-hmm. one of the, your first one, the, you are enough. And mm-hmm. you talked about growing up and you never yes. thought you were enough. And in the book, you actually referenced that as being invisible. Can uh, we talk yes. about that a little bit? Absolutely. You know, I, I, I grew up in, uh, Oakland, California. I was born in 1964 and, you know, in 1964 in Oakland, California, as a little black girl, you were either invisible or your prey. I happened to have been both. And, um, and I realized as, um, you know, I grew up into an abusive home and when I was seven, uh, my mother divorced my father and, and she took me with her And, you know, I realized that I was invisible, that people saw my skin color before they ever saw me. And I had to figure out a way to, um, to be seen. For me, that came about by being a cheerleader for most of my life, because when you put that uniform on, nobody cares what color you are. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I went into the workforce, I didn't have a cheerleader uniform on anymore. And I realized that once again, um, I was invisible. And you know, you fight so hard to be heard. Um, but again, going back to some of those tropes, you know, if you're a black woman, don't be too passionate because you're the angry black woman in the room. You know, don't say you think you're discriminated against because you're the person who says everything is about race, right? And so it was just this constant um, battle to be heard and to be seen. And I decided along the way, I'm going to learn your rules of of how this works, of how to be an executive, but by golly, I'm going to be seen and I'm going to make sure other people are seen too. And I'm not going to, I'm going to make sure they're heard, not because I'm going to talk for them, but because I'm going to open, I'm going to open the path so that they can speak for themselves. 
you know, and it, and it takes a lot of courage and a lot of uh, resilience and probably just a lot of being really stubborn <laughs> you know, to, to make that happen. But that is, um, that is something that was important to me personally for my own growth. Uh, but as I grew into my career and now into this next phase of my life, it's important for me to help other people no longer feel invisible you know, and when I'm in a room and I look around, I don't think about who's in the room. I think about who isn't in the room. Mm. Right? Who can so, we bring in to join us right, in this space? Right. Let's ask the question, you know, and I've done a lot of work, you know, I've worked with um, many large, you know, companies, multinationals, and everybody's worried about diversity, but it's, you know, it's a bunch of white guys sitting around a table saying, what are we going to do about diversity? <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> are you kidding me? Are you really kidding me? So I, so I just really try to do my part to make sure that people have an opportunity to be heard. I, I appreciate that. And uh, I do have hopes for uh, RVP Harrison uh, going forward. So let's yes. actually, let's actually yes. change the color of this country a little bit mm -hmm. in, well, in it's, the, it's, yeah, it's going to change anyway. In the leadership it's, roles, it's, right? Because it's yes. not just white men who should be making these decisions. Right. You know, it's honestly, I think they are the, a much, they're a much smaller population mm -hmm. and they, I mean, they need to keep their, keep their bands off our bodies for one thing, but there's, there's so many things going on right now. That's, right. that's many other episodes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry. Right. But, oh no, that's okay. But you know, I, <laughs> I tell CEOs now, I said the one, you know, one of the things you need to think about is that, you know, while you're surrounded by people who are just like you you are making decisions about a business for people who don't exist. In 10 years, that group of people will not look like they do today. So if, if you're still making the same decisions, good luck with your business. Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> just, so no, it's just like so profound. I was like, okay. <laughs> I have lots of opinions, as you can tell. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, and I'm kind of going to jump back into something that I, mm -hmm. I really appreciated from the book is when you're talking about the fear, the fear yeah. of going through your, your cancer trek. And I, I, someone mentioned that word to me recently, that it's a trek because a trek. that sounds a lot harder than a journey. A journey sounds like fun. That. And um, I'm like, yeah, it's a trek. It is hard. But how did yeah. you figure out how to kind of put that fear behind you and focus on your purpose? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't, I don't know if I ever put the fear behind me, but I just let my purpose become stronger okay. um, than my fear. And I was really driven, as I'd mentioned earlier, that I, uh, I really believe to the core of my being that if something uh, negative, something bad happens to you, you have to turn it into something positive for other people. And that really became my purpose. And that's why I speak um, so open and so freely about cancer and about my, um, my, my track. I really like that term, by the way, um, you know, my track. And so is the, is the fear still there? Absolutely. You know, every time I, you know, I nick myself or something happens uh -huh. or I don't feel well and I think, oh my gosh, my cancer is back. Or there are times when people say, you know, Charlene, there's an awful lot about you and your life out there, you know, because I wrote the book. Um, mm -hmm. Aren't you worried that maybe people won't hire you or this or that? It's like, you know what? I'm focused on my purpose 
And every single day, my purpose is greater than my fear. Doesn't mean I'm not scared. It just means I'm driven. And you talk about that in your book, the, the purpose and the driven and how this has made you feel like you're living more authentically now. Absolutely. And, you know, the, when you are a person of difference and that even includes someone who has been sick, you know, in the workplace, you know, you always, I, I always felt like, you know, people talk about, you can't bring your whole self to work um, or to something. It, it's not even just that. It's that you can't bring your authentic self. And I decided, you know, after going through this track and coming out on the other end, I was going to be unapologetically authentic. And, you know, I have this whole website. I don't know if you know this. I have a website that it's a store for merchandise. It's called Unapologetic AF. <laughs> and on it, um, you know, I, I sell merchandise. That I have t-shirts that say unapologetic AF, and I have things that say I am enough. You know, oh my god, I'm going enough. there as soon as we're done. Yeah, yeah it's, it's unapologeticaf.store. But it's because I just wanted to shout from the rooftops, and I want everybody else to that they can be unapologetically, authentically them, and it is great. It's not something that you have to worry about. It's, it's funny because cancer somewhat did the same thing to me. I, I had gone to a, after I found breast friends, I went to a luncheon, mm -hmm. they had an educational session. And in there it was about taming your fears. And if mm -hmm. you had no fears, no restrictions, what would you want to be doing? And mm -hmm. literally I had tears running down my face and I'm like, I want to write a book and I want to be on stage. Like, and mm -hmm. I was like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> and, but in these few years, like I'm working towards it. I've, I've done mm -hmm. speaking events and, um, you know, that's my ultimate goal is, and I'll get right. there COVID just threw everything into chaos right. as we know, right. that's for sure. but I never would have thought this is what I want to do. And mm -hmm. it's net, it's funny now because I consider myself a lot. In, in many ways, like I love to talk. I, um, I tend to dominate conversations. I'm an oversharer. I'm a Leo. It just comes with yeah. the territory. Um, but this is who I am now. Right. And it, cancer has turned yeah. me into that person. Yeah. Well, you know, the only thing better than being enough is being more than enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. That is perfect. But, Gosh, we are almost out of time. What in mm -hmm. your last minute, what is up next for you? Uh, I am just like you, I'm looking forward to taking on the big stages and talking about my journey and helping people find their way back to themselves and make those choices. I have coming up a TEDx talk in a couple of nice. months that I am very excited about. And then just continuing on my journey to help people with cancer, to help leaders. And, you know, a lot of coaches focus just on coaching. I focus on the whole person. I look at the leader, but the whole person, and it's just been living the best life that I can and leaving a legacy of impact. Perfect. Well, Charlene, thank you so much for being here today. Listeners, you can find out um, more about Charlene at charlenewheelis.biz on LinkedIn. She's Charlene Wheelis and Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, do you go, is it Char Wheelis? C-H-A-R? Okay. Char Wheelis. Char, perfect. And mm -hmm. obviously unapologeticaf.store. So go yes, there. Absolutely. <laughs> if you go nowhere else, go there. Go there. <laughs> and also the book can be found on Amazon and Audible and all those places. So please definitely go check it out. So listeners, if you or a loved one need our services, please visit breastfriends.org. You can make a donation on our website or by texting BF radio to 41444 to help ensure women do not go through cancer alone. 
You can find this podcast on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also watch our 2022 episodes on the Breast Friends YouTube channel. If you would like to nominate yourself to be my guest or share your story, please email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, we rise by lifting each other. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.